And now a reading from Luke 24, recounting the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you have doubts in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to, the, to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. friends. He is risen. Oh, that is a long tradition of Christians to greet each other on Easter morning with, He is risen, and the people saying, He is risen indeed. I mean, really risen. He really rose from the grave. And as we hear that story read in Luke, on that first day of the week, we think this is the most spectacular story. It is incredible. It is awesome. It is unbelievable. And some in the room are like, exactly. Unbelievable. It's not true. It's, it's made up. It's a myth. It's a legend. 
How do you know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? For if he died and stayed dead, well, we are to be pitied in this room. It's embarrassing to be here. But if he rose from the dead, then that changes everything. How do you know? Well, I'll tell you how not to know. You don't know by blind faith. You don't say, well, it just, it feels good. It's a good story. It feels good to believe. Or I have this warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart and my tummy. And so I'm going to believe in the Lord Jesus. No, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because of the historical, factual, evidential experience of those who saw the resurrected Lord and wrote the accounts of it. We have four of those biographical accounts of the life of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection in our scriptures. And many more were even written about him. The historical evidence of his life, death, and resurrection is overwhelming. Luke, who accounted for this, opens his letter to a man named Theophilus. Now, Luke isn't thinking, oh, you know what I should do? I should write the Bible. You know what I should do is I should write all these like spiritual sayings and, and things that people really think are pithy spiritual insights. No, he's just simply making an account of the events that happened like an investigative journalist. Luke chapter 1 opens up with these words. Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Many people. So probably more than him, more than the four that we have, many have undertaken this. And Luke is, is a physician, a well-educated man of the day. He wasn't one of the twelve disciples. And so he's looking into the story that he has heard and that this man Theophilus has heard. It says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses who saw these events and ministers of the word have delivered them to us like they they gave them to us it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus he's probably the one that financially backed this expensive endeavor that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught so it's not Theophilus, take this on blind faith because it feels good. It just feels right. I hope it's true. No, Luke is saying, I've investigated it, as many have, talking to eyewitnesses, those who saw him, heard from him, touched him, and I'm going to write them down in an orderly, academic way so that you, Theophilus, so that the Christians coming after you, that those today would have the certainty to believe, to know that what happened actually happened. And so Luke starts writing all the things that Jesus said, Jesus did, where he went, how it happened. He includes embarrassing the things the disciples did. Even on that resurrecting day, he, he records things that the disciples did that were embarrassing. Why do you include these embarrassing elements if you're going to make up a story? No, you include them if that's just you writing down the facts. And so Luke accounts for it, and the early church says, well, that's one of the gospel stories that we'll include in the can we recognize as Scripture, the life of Jesus. And so Luke is the one who records what was read by Lindsay this morning. On the first day of the week, Sunday, 
at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. So here are the women who are coming to the tomb with spices that they've prepared. These spices are, are going to be anointing a dead corpse. They're showing up with ointments for, de- for a dead body. They didn't believe they were going to show up and see the resurrected Christ. And so if you have some, like, questions, if you have some disbelief, you're in really good company. The disciples did not believe on day one. On Easter morning, they had a lot of unbelief amongst them. They showed up to anoint what they expected to find was a corpse. They didn't show up with food and electrolytes, thinking, oh, man, I bet you he's really hungry. He's been dead for three days. And we should probably bring some electrolytes and just, like, replenish his body. No, they show up with the spices to anoint him as a corpse. And there it says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they were perplexed, Luke tells us. They're trying to figure out, whoa, 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 what just happened? They, They go in there and they see these linen clothes, very expensive clothes that you wrap a corpse in to care for the body. And they're just laying over here, once folded. And there's no body. And so then they hear this voice of, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And they run back and tell the disciples, he's, he's alive somewhere. And so Peter, like, I don't believe this is true. He still doesn't believe, Luke tells us. And he runs, and other disciples run, and they come into the tomb, and they see it and says that Peter's perplexed. He's thinking, what is this? He's looking at the clothes and no corpse. So like if, if, if grave robbers were going to show up, they're interested in what's valuable in tombs. Why would they leave what's most valuable and then take the corpse? That doesn't make any sense. And if it's the disciples, why would they undress the corpse and leave the linens here? Because that's such a disregard and disrespect of the body. Disciples wouldn't do that. And so something else has happened. And they're trying to use their brains to put it together. What's interesting is that they're inside the tomb. Why was the stone rolled away? I used to think that the stone was rolled away so Jesus could get out. It's like he'd been dead for three days, he resurrected, he's alive in the tomb, he's like, all right, I'm back. Ooh, door's closed. Uh, Like, hey, can somebody help me? Like, do me a solid, roll this thing back. No, the, the stone is rolled away as an invitation for them to come in and see. Not to have blind faith, but to investigate what just happened. It's an invitation to come and read the story, come and see the the story, the account, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter and the disciples are back at the house and they're trying to figure out what is happening. The New Testament authors try to define what just happened. And and they reach and they they grab this Old Testament language that's rich in their story. This word first fruits. In fact, there was a a festival of first fruits. First fruits were the very first fruits that would appear in a vineyard. That would be the evidence and the guarantee that a harvest was coming. The first fruits were the very first evidence that you could visibly see that the season was changing and a harvest was coming. And the New Testament authors pick up on this language, Paul particularly, and he says that the resurrection of Jesus 
is the first fruits of the things to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a nice way of saying died. Jesus is the first evidence and the guarantee of a harvest coming, of a fruitfulness that's coming. It's guaranteed that he will actually produce a resurrection like his for all those who are in him. He's the first fruits of it. Now, how do you get your mind around this? What does it exactly look like? Well, can anyone in the room tell me what is growing in my backyard? What's this picture of growing in my backyard? Who said tulips? 10,000 bonus points for you. They're tulips. My mom planted tulips at our house in Boulder when we grew up. And so I thought, you know, when we moved out here to Erie, I wanted to plant tulips in my yard. And tulips are the best because I'm really bad with plants and they take little effort. You take their bulb and you just bury it in the ground in the fall. And then winter comes and covers it with snow. And in the winter, like, everything looks dead, doesn't it? There's no, there's no plants really alive in, in Colorado. All the trees have, like, shed their leaves. It just looks like death. And then I'll be playing in the backyard with my kids in, like, February, March. And I just I have not noticed them for several weeks. And all of a sudden, you'll look over, and you're like, oh, my goodness! Guys, come over here, come over here. Look what's coming out of the ground. It's the tulips! And the tulips in Colorado are some of the first evidences that winter is over and that spring is coming. It shows that winter is ending and spring is coming. And then they grow up and they have these beautiful blossoms, like red and yellow and pink, and I just love them. And after they come up, because we live in Colorado, what happens? Oh, you live here too. Man, I was out with my kids doing sports yesterday morning. Our first game started at 8.30. And I'm thinking it's supposed to be the spring. And I'm just freezing, thinking, oh, my goodness. I thought spring would be here already. It snows. And it covers them back up, doesn't it? And you can get really depressed and go, oh, man, winter's still here. But that's not what's happening. No, that, that's a spring snow. Now, that might be the heaviest snow that Colorado gets, the most destructive snow that we see all year, breaking branches, taking down power lines, disrupting life. But that's a spring snow. And the evidence that it's a spring snow is that tulips are on the ground and that winter is ending and spring is coming. You see, Jesus is the first fruits, the tulips in the middle of human history in which the world, since its fall, has been in a dark, cold, dead winter, in which there have been power struggles of which group gets to dominate another group and which individual gets to dominate other individuals. And we look in the world and we see people abusing and harming one another. And, and we've been the recipients of that. And oftentimes we've been the ones who have done that to others in this winter. And then the middle of it, as promised and predicted, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one of God had come and was buried and three days later resurrected, blossomed as the first fruits 
of the reality of what's coming. And after his resurrection, he was with his disciples for, for 40 days, hanging out with them for 40 days, teaching them all the things that had to be fulfilled, how he fulfilled them. And he tells them that you're going to be my witnesses. Their belief is becoming stronger, yet they're still wrestling with it. Back in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to his disciples. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, perplexed, what was happening? Why is the tomb empty? Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. A spirit, like this is the spirit of Easter past. What's happening? And Jesus corrects them and says, okay, listen, this resurrection isn't as though that you resuscitated me. Or that I have been reincarnated. Or that I live on in your hearts. Or in our memory. No, this is the visible, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he, re he rose from the grave visibly, physically. And so he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Like, you're still doubting. You still don't believe. There are people that are still not believing. Why are they arising in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Like, come here. Get, come in close. It's like, I opened the tomb for you to come in. Now I'm present with you. Come draw near. Touch me. See me. Listen to me. Watch me stand. Watch me sit. And then the best thing next is watch me eat. And when he had said this, he showed them to his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it. And there's, that's, a, that's an Easter miracle. That in the resurrection, the new bodies that Jesus shows us, we still get to eat. How wonderful is that? That is an Easter story we're celebrating. But it's just more evidence of what kind of resurrection Jesus had. And what kind of resurrection you can anticipate to have. It's not just a spiritual one. It's a physical one. A real one. From the grave. See, so many of us think that the, the Easter story is that Jesus came to die for our sins. And that we would get beamed out of here and just go to heaven someday. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that Jesus Christ came to forgive us of our sins. And to inaugurate the reconciliation of everything that has been broken and lost. That yes, there is heaven in which those who have died are with him now. But there is a longing for his heavenly city to come back to earth. For Jesus to return to earth and reconcile all the mess that we have made. And wipe every tear. And mend every wound. And restore every wrong. And make it right. There is an earthiness to the resurrection and reconciliation. That we'd be with our God on earth in new heavens and a new earth. Experiencing the joy of a renewed Eden again. That's the Easter story. And Christ inaugurated it. And as the first fruits, it looks like it's winter out there again. But it's not. That's a spring winter. And we're witnesses of it. We're witness of it. He calls us at the end of 24 in verse 48. And behold, I am sending, sorry, in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. You're going to be witnesses of these things. And he tells them, behold, I'm going to send you the Spirit. 
that's going to enable you to be the witnesses of the resurrection. That you would be able to tell the world of what has happened here. Witness it. That's what the early church was. Paul, writing to a church in Corinth, back in chapter 15, where he refers to Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits, he's just witnessing to these things. Chapter 15, verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you. Now, I, didn't, I didn't make this up. Like, I'm just going to tell you, remind you of these things. That's what we're doing today, just reminding ourselves of what has happened. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That's the good news, what Christ accomplished. I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. It's something that we actually live in now. We stand. We exist in this gospel today. It's not just a story 2,000 years ago. And by which you are being saved. It means that story is alive today, transforming, saving us. It's a living story. If you hold fast to the words I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Don't do that. Don't believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. So it's okay. What Jesus accomplished was what was predicted for him to accomplish, according to the Scriptures. Jesus doesn't show up on the new scene to do something altogether new. He's doing something altogether fulfilled. The forgiveness of sins. The reason Jesus is the only sufficient Savior is he's the only sufficient answer. Everything else in the world says, try harder. Be better. Stop it. Jesus says, I, I know the predicament you're in. I know what's going on. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. I'm going to wipe them all away. I know you can't do that. And so I'm going to do a work for you that only God can do. I'm going to forgive your sins. Now, a room this size, you're thinking, I wonder who the biggest sinner in this room is. That's me. That's me. The lights are on them. I'm the biggest sinner in this room. And I've experienced the most wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. And to see the resurrection of what he has done in my own life personally. I mean, I, I, it's funny to, to meet people that knew me, like, feels like a lifetime ago. And they ask me, like, what do you do? I said, I work at a church. You're like, what? What are you doing working at a church? Are you stealing from them? You know. Like, <laughs> like no, they don't give cash anymore. It's all online. Um, it's like, no, it's, this is it. This is I've encountered the resurrecting, the resurrecting Lord who died and was risen. And it's what I'm standing in and being changed by. And I know that's true for your stories as well. I, I've heard your stories of how resurrection has come into your marriages and how resurrection has come into your family and how forgiveness has happened. Maybe not perfectly, but you know it's like the end of winter. And spring is on its way. And we are the witnesses to the world of this reality. Jesus calls us his, his people, his church. It's actually his ecclesia, the, the body or the bride of Christ. It's not a building. It's a body. It's a group of people. You don't say, I went to church. I went to church this Easter. No, you didn't go to church. You are the church. 
God has saved us to bring us into his body, his bride. It's what's called the church. And the church is on display all around the world today. There's a billion people in every single country on the planet celebrating the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Think about that. Name one more carpenter that you know from first century Palestine. Someone from first service was like, Joseph. I'm like, mmm, you got me. <laughs> Jesus' dad. Uh, But do you see how the world has been, up, has been turned upside down by him? And we are the witnesses of it. He calls us, we are the light of the world. How does the world know what is true? The church will display what's true. The body of Christ will proclaim it. He says that you are the salt of the earth. How will the earth be preserved and not just, just go to hell? Because the church is here. Can you imagine something more worthy to participate in than the body and bride of Jesus Christ on this side of eternity? No, there's nothing. It's not come to Calvary. It's belong to Christ. He is the first fruits. What's wonderful is he tells his disciples to hang tight in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. That's 40 days later at the festival of first fruits, Pentecost. And that's where the church was born, was, the Spirit was poured out, and thousands came to Christ right off the bat. That's the first fruits there. If you've been with us in the study of James, what does James call his church? God, God's church. He calls us the first fruits of his creatures. Like this is the harvest that Jesus promised is happening. We are the first fruits to see what he will ultimately do. And so tulips have come up in the world, and it has snowed again. Has it not? Life's hard right now. It can be very challenging right now. And I suppose you'd have the courage and knowledge to know what is truly coming. We are the witnesses of what is really true and where this world is really going. In fact, don't tell anybody. But this is the rebellion. This is the rebellion against the world in all the ways the world wants to define and divide us as human beings. That you are not defined simply by the sum total of what you have accomplished, of your accolades, or what you have accumulated in this life. You are not defined by the sum total of your wealth or knowledge. You are not defined by your abilities, inabilities, or disabilities. You are not defined, as the world wants to define you, by your worst day and your worst mistake that we're never going to let you live down or forget. No, we are defined by the work of Jesus Christ, that we belong to him, that we are defined, that his death was our death, that his resurrection is our resurrection. His life is our life. His future is our future. That's what we're defined by, and that's how we define others. Even if they are unaware of that yet, they are still people made in the image of God. And so we are Easter people who live knowing 
that the spring is coming. We, we know this world is going. We just choose to live into that reality now, even though it looks like the world is still in winter. The tulips have come up. I was talking to my cousin Noah. He grew up in Louisville. And he said, when he goes into, he sees pictures of being over in Louisville in the areas in which the fire has come through and burnt down and destroyed all these homes. And do you know what's coming through the ground right now? They're tulips. It's just the visible evidence and the guarantee of the things that are truly coming. And the Christian is the witness to the world that winter is almost over and spring is here. And as has been said, that this present reality, whatever we're experiencing right now, grief, sorrow, death, is not the end of the story because Easter's the story. As has been said, it's not even the first chapter of the story. It's not even the preface to the story that God's writing. It's not even the first paragraph. It's not the first sentence. It's not the first word. It's... It's like the first letter of the first word of the first sentence in the first paragraph of the preface to the story that God is writing for all of eternity because of the love of Jesus Christ poured out on you, validated by his resurrection from the dead. But this is where it's all going. We choose to live into this now. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 8 says, In being found in human form, that's Jesus, the God-man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where this is the whole thing's going. And there's just a choice for everyone in this room to, to look into the story of Jesus, to get around one of these biographies, historical biographies of Jesus that were written with eyewitness accounts and make a decision. Modern language, but a decision for you. Do I follow or do I unfollow? There's no middle ground. Choose to follow or choose to unfollow. But those are the decisions. As has been said by an old Southern Baptist, looking at the story of Jesus, as he predicted his own death, how he would die, how long he'd be dead for, and when he would rise, and pull it off, I'll follow him. I'll follow him. But we gather today as the witnesses of the world of resurrection. And so let's praise the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the King. Father, I thank you for a community of believers that gather on Easter morning to remember, to be reminded of what we had received, what has been fulfilled. And as we live in the harshness of the day where it just feels like winter is still here. May we be reminded with such great hope of what is coming. 
what has been accomplished, of who we are as forgiven, beloved children of God who belong to our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.